Have you joined Spyscape Plus yet? Spyscape Plus membership gives you exclusive access to Q&As with the spies and experts featured on the show and to supporter-only content such as The Razumov Files, our six-part drama series which reimagines Joseph Conrad's classic spy thriller under Western eyes for the present day. Once you've signed up, you can listen to all this and more via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your podcast platform of choice is. Go to spyscape.com slash spyscape plus for details. Incoming transmission. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to True Spies. Week by week, mission by mission, you'll hear the true stories behind the world's greatest espionage operations. You'll meet the people who navigate this secret world. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? This is True Spies. They drove us through Pyongyang, you know, the showcase city of Pyongyang. But suddenly we took a turn and we went into another part which they will never show people, a really slum area. And we were asked to go down in a basement in those buildings. And I was like, okay, we are busted. They know why we are here. This is True Spies. Episode 94, The Mole. What's it like to be a mole? An undercover agent maintaining a fake persona, covering up who you really are from your friends and closest family. What's it like to be that mole inside what's possibly the most dangerous country in the world to be a spy? What kind of skills do you need to succeed in not getting found out? I think that I'm just a calm guy and I was told by CIA that they tried for 20 years to put a person in my position and I did it myself without the you know, without CIA in my back. So I'm still waiting for a job in CIA, but I don't know if they want to hire me. My name is Ulrich Larsen, and I'm a former chef. In this episode of True Spies, you'll hear how this former chef from Denmark gained the complete trust of an organization with close ties to one of the world's most controversial regimes. It was just a step-by-step thing by doing the right things, and also with a bit of luck, of course. But ending up in North Korea and after six days being asked to visit one of the parliament building and finding out that I was being awarded with a friendship medal and the badges of the leaders, that was completely insane, but they trusted me that much. With no formal military or espionage training, Ulrich Larsen went looking for evidence of illegal international trade by North Korean actors. Suddenly we were sitting in this room with representative of the government and the president of the arms factory and people from the pharmaceutical industry. In an elaborate undercover op that required nerves of steel to carry out. They just took out papers showing all their weapons and missiles. And Mr. James and me were looking at each other and was like, what the beep is going on? After they have shown us those things, they will kill us. This is a story with a cast of characters that include an actor posing as a shady billionaire investor a Danish film director, and the Spanish head of the International Korean Friendship Association. Strap in for an extraordinary journey from Denmark to North Korea. 
Just over 10 years ago, Ulrich Larsen was a happily married chef living in Denmark with a wife working in advertising and two kids. His life was following a completely conventional path in the Copenhagen suburbs until a medical diagnosis brought that life to a screeching halt. I had a long period of, you know, hard work and feeling bad. And, well, suddenly I was lying in a hospital bed and the doctors figured out that I got a chronic pancreatitis. Ulrich's pancreas was struggling to produce insulin. He was developing diabetes. As his health became more fragile, he couldn't keep up the physically demanding work required of a full-time chef. In his early 30s, with his first career at an end, he spent many hours on the couch, streaming videos and wondering what to do next. Then he saw a film that was to dramatically change the course of his life. The Red Chapel, a documentary that followed Danish filmmaker Mads Brugger and two Danish comics on a trip to North Korea disguised as a vaudeville act in an attempt to ridicule the nation's regime. The film, which claimed to expose desperate living conditions inside North Korea, made a deep impression on Ulrich whose childhood experiences had left him with a particular revulsion towards totalitarian regimes. So much so that he began to wonder if he could help director Brugger capture even more damaging footage. Quite naive, I wrote Mads Brugger, and he just wrote me back, that sounds really interesting. What intrigued Mads Brugger was the plan Ulrich had proposed. It involved Ulrich going undercover and infiltrating an organization called the Danish Friendship Association of North Korea, or KFA, a group of Danes who were sympathetic to the North Korean regime and intent on promoting its virtues to their fellow citizens. Brugger put Ulrich in touch with his longtime collaborator, film producer Peter Engel. They literally gave me a camera and said, off you go. Posing as an enthusiastic sympathizer to the North Korean cause, in 2009, Ulrich went and enlisted with the KFA. His relative youth and apparent zeal weighed strongly in his favor. Because I was, you know, the young ones and they were plus 60, the board members, and I think that the chairman saw a light in me to, to find something or somebody who could carry on in the future the day he will pass away. First, Ulrich needed a way to establish his sincerity. He had to prove his loyalty to the Danish KFA members and the regime in North Korea. What would you do to inveigle your way into the good graces of a fringe group like this? Using the camera given to him by filmmakers Brugger and Engel, Ulrich began filming the activities of the Danish KFA. And I said to them, well, why don't we use this media called YouTube to tell the people what we are doing in this association? I could do some video clips and I can edit a small film and we can just release it on YouTube. And they were like, wow, great idea, let's do. And that was practically my way in the whole thing. I really did a real propaganda, you know, to show this fantastic association and and how wonderful North Korea is. But where did Ulrich, a former chef living in Denmark, glean the inside to make propaganda that appealed so strongly to members of the Korean Friendship Association? To unravel that puzzle, we have to go way back to Ulrich's childhood. 
because Mads Brugger's film portrayal of a divided career had rekindled some powerful memories for Ulrich, who grew up in the era of the Berlin Wall and a divided East and West Germany. To young Ulrich, East Germany was a dark and fearful place. My dad used to work on the ferry who sailed between Denmark and Germany. Sometimes he sailed to the west, and in the West Germany I could have a, a Coke and fries, a sandwich, whatever, from the, the border patrol, border police. And if I went with him to East Germany, I was uh, told by the um, captain of the ship that if I go down the ladder, I will probably get killed, shot, or what was even worse. But Ulrich got a glimpse behind that frightening image of communist East Germany when he accompanied his father on a work trip. Ulrich found himself in an arcade playing a video game. For so long, in fact, that his hands started getting tired. And then suddenly this boy came up to my right side and started just shooting for me. And I was like, you know, well, cool, I can control it, you can shoot it. And I speak fluent German since I was a little kid. So we, we could speak and I found out that his mom was a school teacher in East Germany. And his dad was working as a chef on the town hall in Rostock in the northeast Germany. The boys became pen pals. Then Ulrich's parents suggested that the family take a trip to see his friend. A visit that was to make an unforgettable impression on young Ulrich. For me, visiting East Germany, growing up in the southern part of Denmark, with everything, I could go in the supermarket, buy a Coke or, you know, whatever I like. And uh, come down there and you... You saw four bags of flowers on a wall in the supermarket or there were practically no food at all. And one morning we went down for breakfast to buy bread and we, we waited an hour and a half. Then I was told maybe you wouldn't be able to buy bread. Ulrich had seen how the communist authorities in East Germany had used propaganda to make its citizens feel they were living in a great country, despite the evidence of their own hungry bellies. He used those insights from his childhood to make short promotional videos for the KFA, extolling the wonders of life in North Korea. The videos depicted events at Danish KFA meetings, featuring impassioned speeches on how the Danish and international news media were misrepresenting real life inside North Korea and how great life there really was. The short films were an instant hit with the Danish KFA's largely elderly membership so much so that they sent them to North Korea to air on state television. But Ulrich soon realized that to get footage for a truly groundbreaking expose, he'd need to find a way to go to North Korea. After three years of being a rising star in the Danish KFA, Ulrich had just the opening he'd been looking for. He was introduced to the president of the International Korean Friendship Association, Alejandro Caudebenos, a Spaniard and an ardent supporter of North Korean Premier Kim Jong-un. Debenos had been to North Korea over 40 times. When he met Ulrich, he liked what he saw. I think he saw me as a, a bright person, not being silly, um, want to drink cheap beer and, you know, getting drunk, but paying my respect to, to the regime and ending up speaking with him and um, that just was a big turning point in all this and from then on it was like the criminal way of North Korea opens for me and for the team. 
Having impressed Carlos Cadabenos, Ulrich was invited by him and the Danish KFA's chairman to go to North Korea as an up-and-coming member of the Danish delegation. The trip was time to coincide with an important anniversary celebrating the regime's founding father, Kim Il-sung. I knew for nine months I was going because it was the celebration of uh, Kim Il-sung's uh, 100th birthday. It was very important for the North Koreans because it was the biggest day in North Korea ever. And what was to be the first of two trips to North Korea? An inexperienced Ulrich learned a lot about the difficulties of filming inside the country. I was very excited going there and I only brought a small handheld camera and, um, and my iPhone at that point, an old iPhone. And the first thing they took away from me was the iPhone. And they looked at my camera and it was nothing big. It was just like a regular tourist camera. So I didn't have any problems there. On their way to their hotel in the North Korean capital, Pyongyang, a passenger on their bus took a picture of some children standing under a roof, sheltering from the rain. A North Korean security minder immediately stepped in. And in the same moment he took the picture, the guide fell over him and said he has to delete it because that is the kind of pictures that the U.S. will use to bring bad stories about North Korea. It was said, like, delete it or we're going to take your camera. And the statement after that was, when you take pictures, we tell you to take pictures. That was one of the first guidelines we had in the bus. Ulrich soon learned that these strict rules were applied with draconian efficiency. Being in North Korea, you will never be left alone for more than two minutes because there will be a guide constantly watching you. It's quite scary actually because if you just want to take a walk, be yourself outside, it's it's impossible. You can walk 100 yards, 300 yards, and then suddenly on your right there will come a guide up and say, hey, are you walking here? Oh, let's go over here and see, like they're gonna draw you back to the hotel so you don't get away from where they put the tourist. And that was really scary. Being watched by minders 24-7, how would Ulrich ever manage to capture revealing evidence of North Korean arms dealing on camera? The key to Ulrich's success was that he was now trusted by both the Danish KFA and the North Korean regime so much that he was allowed to openly film any scenes that could feature in upcoming propaganda efforts. So on the 100th anniversary of the birthday of the country's founder, Kim Il-sung, Ulrich was asked to make a visit to one of the parliament buildings. And finding out that I was being awarded with a friendship medal and the badges of the leaders, that was completely insane, but they trusted me that much, so I was I was blown away by the trust of them. Not only trusted by the Korean elite, Ulrich also befriended a North Korean man who he would meet again at a crucial point on his second visit to the country. The enigmatic Mr. Kang. He didn't know it then, but Kang would turn out to be the key to Ulrich's success. The first time I met Mr. Kang was in 2012. He was working in the Agency of Cultural Relations with foreign countries. And he was, you know, just our guide. A very nice man. I met his wife and daughter, and he was really interesting in me. And we had a lot of great conversations, being parents and those kind of things, and the difference between Denmark and North Korea. However, there were indications that Mr. Kang was much more than just a tour guide. We went out to a shooting range. 
and uh, we couldn't hit the target right. So, you know, old excuses, well, the gun is bad or all this kind of thing. And then Mr. Kang just took a gun up in his hand and he just pointed at the target and he was just bullseye. All this made Ulrich suspect that friendly tour guide Mr. Kang was actually a North Korean secret agent. When Ulrich's group were taken to see a North Korean Olympic Taekwondo team training session, further proof emerged. There was this training doll, which was around 10 feet. And I asked him for fun, could you hit that one in your head with your leg? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And he was in his suit and he just jumped up and hit it right in the back. So I was like, wow, he is a trained agent. Ulrich had not only survived his first visit to North Korea undercover, he'd become much closer to Carlos Caudebenos, the Spanish-born head of the International Korean Friendship Association, the organization coordinating global support for the North Korean regime. Now Debenos asked Ulrich to help him find a rich businessman interested in trading with the Koreans to provide them with cash to help support Kim Jong-un's regime. The North Koreans could provide anything, Debenos explained, including illegal pharmaceuticals, and weapons of any kind. If Ulrich could broker such a deal, it would be the perfect opportunity to capture, on film, illegal trading by North Korea. The international community already believed this was happening, but they had no firm evidence. It would also be revealing footage for the documentary Mads Brugger wanted to make. All Ulrich and Brugger had to do was to find an unscrupulous billionaire willing to play along with the scheme. The director, Mads Brygger, spoke with two real businessmen from Denmark, which are some of the richest people in Denmark, asking if they want to help him in a project. And they were interested. And he said, well, you have to be yourself and let's see what happens. Unsurprisingly, the businessmen wanted to know more about what they were getting into and with whom. As soon as they learned it involved the North Koreans, they suddenly weren't interested. And they were like, okay, thank you, but... We out. Then, from an unexpected source, another lucky break. A guy who helped Mads Brugger with security issues, including watching Ulrich's back from time to time, was drinking in a bar in Copenhagen when... He met up a beautiful, tall lady. And he walked over to her and, you know, chit-chatting she was alone. And then suddenly, Jim came in, Jim Letras. The lady's husband. After introductions all round, the two men were soon deep in conversation. Jim revealed he was a former foreign legionnaire, recently released from an eight-year sentence in a Danish prison for cocaine dealing. A flamboyant and charismatic man, Jim Latrash Kvortrup, had exactly the look of the rich but shady international businessman. Someone who Ulrich just might be able to convince the North Koreans was the real deal. Within 10 minutes, he told the story to my security guy, who was a former Danish Navy SEAL soldier. And they just changed phone numbers. The security guard shared this information with Mads Brugger, who put in a phone call to Jim. He called him up and said, hey, Jim, um, I'm doing a project and I need someone to play a billionaire. And he was like, wow, that's me. Yeah, but don't you want to hear what it's all about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you need to play a billionaire who wants to buy some illegal things, um, you have to go to North Korea. And Jim was like, well, okay, when do you gonna have an answer? Mass said, 
uh, half an hour. It didn't take Jim long. He just said, I need to think about it and I do it. The operation to initiate and film illegal North Korean arms dealing was underway. Ulrich had to come up with a new name for Jim Latrash Kvortrup, who would be acting the part of the unethical billionaire. He settled on Mr. James. The next step was to introduce Mr. James to Alejandro Cao de Benos, the Spanish head of the International Friends of North Korea Association, a meeting which took place in Oslo, Norway. It soon became apparent that de Benos was much more than just an outspoken supporter of North Korea. He was willing to broker deals in weapons and pharmaceuticals, prohibited under United Nations sanctions, to assist his friends in the East. Now he was there, just in front of Alejandro. And we didn't know what to expect, but, well, five minutes after they met, Alejandro just started talking about how North Korea could sell and produce weapons and methamphetamine, how they couldn't undergo the sanctions, practically telling that in North Korea there are no rules. But not long after that meeting, a giant spanner was thrown into the works. The Spanish authorities had caught wind of De Benos and his role in international arms trafficking. They served him with a warrant and took away his passport, which meant Ulrich would now be in sole charge of taking phony billionaire Mr. James to North Korea. This turn of events would give Ulrich a much better chance to get the secret footage he needed and would put him in a lot more danger. At this point, Mads Brugger decided that Ulrich needed to be better prepared for the mission ahead. So he found a former CIA operative who was willing to give Ulrich some training in the art of working undercover. Ulrich traveled to the US for his one-week crash course in espionage. He told me that to be the perfect Mueller secret agent, you need to be 95% Ulrich and 5% the agent. In essence, the secret for Ulrich was to play a slightly more naive version of himself 95% of the time, leaving just the remaining 5% to be a ruthless undercover operative. In 2017, it was time to find out if his cover would work and if the North Koreans would believe that Mr. James was indeed a rich investor looking to buy weapons and illegal pharmaceuticals in return for lots of cash. With Alejandro Caudebenos still grounded in Spain, Ulrich, in a Mao-style suit, complete with his North Korean friendship medals, and Mr. James, sporting an improbably lavish moustache, boarded a plane to Pyongyang. They hadn't had much time to concoct a backstory, so they decided to keep it simple. So meeting up with him in the airport, and we practically had 45 minutes to do our cover story, which were practically nothing. Just that I have been cooked for him, and I knew that he would like to invest money in That was our way in. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere. And no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts.
On arrival in Pyongyang, Ulrich had to try to get his film equipment through North Korean security. Would he succeed? I have a 4K camera with me and a laptop and hard drives and probably they're going to take it away from me or we didn't know what's going to happen. But as soon as we landed in Pyongyang, I walked two steps out of the flight and I was put aside um, by Mr. Kang, who was my contact person in North Korea. And after 15 minutes, a police officer came down and said that I have to come with him to pick up my luggage. And Mr. Kang walked with me and I have a camera and a computer. And he looked at me and said he needs to speak with a higher, higher ranking officer to take a decision what to happen. We find Ulrich Larsen, aka The Mole, in Pyongyang Airport's arrivals hall. He's just been pulled over by security with a bag full of illicit film kit in his luggage. If that equipment was confiscated, it would be the end to an undercover scheme that had taken years of meticulous preparation. Fortunately, an unexpected ally stepped up. Mr. Kang, Ulrich's tour guide from his first visit to North Korea, had apparently been promoted in the intervening years and was now working for an outfit called Norea Trading the very company planning to sell Mr. James the illegal weapons and pharmaceuticals. And then Mr. Kang said, well, Ulrich, don't you have your medal and your badges? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, it's just under my jacket. The second he saw those badges and medals, he bowed for me and said, sorry, welcome to North Korea, comrade. Ulrich made it out of the airport with all of his filming gear in his luggage. Now he had to set up the meeting between Mr. James and the North Koreans selling the illegal weapons and pharmaceuticals. But day after day, all Ulrich and Mr. James were allowed to experience were a series of tourist junkets. With no sign of the promised meeting with Norea Trading, Ulrich let Mr. Kang know that time was running out. And I was like, listen, in four days, 96 hours, we are in a flight back from Sunan Airport to Beijing and then back to Copenhagen. And then you lose Mr. James. And then from that moment on, everything just changed. The next day, the North Koreans sprang into action. We were asked to go in our car and they drove us through Pyongyang, you know, the showcase city of Pyongyang. But suddenly we took a turn and we went into Another part which they will never show people, a really slum area. Even though it was minus degrees and very cold, there were literally um, urine running down the street and the houses was about to collapse. What happened next almost made Ulrich's heart stop. We were asked to go down in a basement in those buildings and I was like, okay, we are busted. They know why we are here. Walking down to that basement, the only thing I was waiting for was the sound of a gun being, you know, loaded and my life would stop. But that didn't happen. The terrifying moment took a completely unexpected and bizarre turn. We got met by a big door, which was probably 10 feet thick. And behind that door was a very luxury room. When we came in, the, the karaoke uh, machine was playing and the lights were rolling. 
We were literally thinking, well, we got, first we're going to party, then they're going to kill us. Instead of sudden death, the scenario that Ulrich had plotted to witness for so long began to unfold in front of his eyes. And more importantly, his camera. Yes, the North Koreans trusted Ulrich so much by this stage that they allowed him to openly film the proceedings. And then suddenly we were sitting in this room with the representative of the government and the president of the arms factory and people from the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, we just start talking. And of course, they were more asking Mr. James about what he could offer. And he told Alejandro in the beginning that it was a 50 million euros. That was a minimum investment. And suddenly they just took out papers showing all their weapons and missiles. It was like having a menu. And Mr. James and me were looking at each other. And it was like, what the beep is going on? And then suddenly they pushed me away and took my camera, started filming me in this room with all the papers and the contracts and celebrating. Now so completely trusted by the North Koreans that they were helping him film the meeting, Ulrich and Mr. James had a long conversation with their hosts, figuring out the details of how the illicit deal might work. And we even came to that conclusion that it would be more wise that we could produce those things outside North Korea because having me and Mr. James traveling in and out of North Korea maybe 10 times a year would look quite crazy and we will be watched entering North Korea and coming out all the time. Instead, the North Koreans proposed to build a factory in Africa under the guise of a new hotel development. But hidden underneath would be a facility for producing weapons and methamphetamine. Under this plan, the North Koreans would fly out workers with specialist skills in such weapons and pharmaceuticals manufacturing. And it just ended up in a, a huge celebration with a lot of food and a party, actually. And the funny part is, in, in between those negotiations, the uh, president of the weapons factory, he just stood up and took the microphone and started singing karaoke. And he was singing something about the leaders. I could recognize the names. And then they said, Ulrich, you're going to sing. Ulrich realized he was about to be busted. No, not for being a spy, but for his terrible singing voice. I sing really, really bad. Even my kids hate it. But um, I said, well, okay, but it's going to be easy going and it has to be English. And then, then they put on Celine Dion with My Heart Will Go On. So I sang one or two lines and I said, no, I don't want to destroy the song. And then I start singing a Danish children's song. And that was even better because I could clap and do the things as you do in the song. And they, they loved it because that was something personal for me. And then ending up for me like saying, well, that was how we love our kids in Denmark. And I love my kids as I love the leader. And just those small words could really make you be a star in North Korea. It was an inspired bit of improvisation. Just those few words banked Ulrich some serious goodwill among his new acquaintances. Having successfully laid the plans for the illicit deal, Ulrich and Mr. James exited North Korea without being exposed. But now they had to go along with the next part of the plan, which involved the North Koreans finding a friendly country where they could set up their highly illegal weapons and pharmaceutical manufacturing plant. They settled on Uganda. The plan was a grand one. The North Koreans would buy an island in the middle of Lake Victoria and pretend to build a tourist resort there 
as a front for their operation. Arriving in Uganda and resuming their undercover roles, Ulrich and Mr. James were taken to the island, where the local population had been completely hoodwinked by the Koreans and their Ugandan collaborators. We came out to this island and got welcomed by a great committee. And we find out that the real estate broker, as we brought with us, he has told them that those two people will come because they want to build a hospital or a medical clinic. Ulrich and Mr. James have been led to believe that there were three to four hundred people living on the island, all of whom would need to be airlifted off to make way for the Korean contraband factory. So we hired a helicopter to fly over the island. And uh, we could see that on the other side of the island, there were also people. So we estimated there were probably living around 4,000 people on that island. The North Koreans made preparations to buy the island and start construction of the weapons and meth production facility. Meanwhile, still grounded in Spain, Alejandro Caudebenos asked Ulrich to visit him in Tarragona with an update on progress. This time, Ulrich was secretly filming the meeting with a concealed mic and camera. The briefing was almost over when Alejandro jumped out of his chair. He said, I have to show you something. And then he walked out in the room behind and, you know, meeting was practically over, so I, I didn't know what to expect. But then he came in with a small, um, it looked like a telephone. And then I saw straight away that it was a bug detector for sweeping out for cameras and microphones. Not only was he wearing two mics and a concealed camera, Ulrich had two more mics and another camera in his backpack. His situation had suddenly become very dangerous. He was in a basement with Alejandro and one of his loyal followers behind two locked iron doors. If it was discovered that Ulrich was wired, he was trapped. And he just starts sweeping it around and just in front of me, it just starts bringing out noises. And I was like, this is not good. What would you do in this incredibly dangerous situation? Would you panic, attempt to run, or would you try and blag your way out? In a moment of inspiration, Ulrich remembered that he was carrying his car key, complete with its electronic door opener. And I was like, it's the key. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's the key. And the key was just in the center of the back of all the items I brought with me. And I just was seconds away from being caught. Having been saved by his car keys and his quick thinking, Ulrich exited the basement and rushed to his car. When I came out of the car, I was tearing off the microphone and camera off my body. That was a really close call. That was, that was terrifying. It was now time to finalize this complex, completely illegal, sanction-busting deal. Ulrich arranged for the North Koreans to meet with himself and Mr. James in a convincingly lavish setting in Copenhagen. You know, things always needed to end somehow, and we then went so far in the negotiations with the North Koreans that we had to do the final agreement. And we did that in... Um, in the most expensive and fantastic hotel in Denmark, the Hotel Dangleter. The highly illegal contracts were finalized. The next step was for fake billionaire, Mr. James, to hand over the money. 
a lot of money. The deception had run its course. Mr. James would have to disappear without trace, or the ruse would be exposed. And then we just said to Jim, well, you served three and a half years in the project. Thank you very much for for joining us. And he disappeared. He just became a ghost. With his billionaire vanished into thin air, Ulrich now had a new challenge. How to maintain the fiction that he was genuinely trying to help Debanos and the Koreans broker an arms deal? Ulrich decided to employ what had proved to be his most powerful weapon of deception. He simply acted naive. It worked. Alejandro was quite calm about it. I was like, well, I have met people before like Mr. James and they are opportunistic bastards and he used bad words of him. Then finally, after 10 years of deception, it was time for Ulrich to reveal his true motives and his true self to Alejandro, the Danish KFA and the North Koreans. Using the pretext that he was giving a talk to a class of school kids in Copenhagen about North Korea, Ulrich invited Alejandro to join a Zoom conference call to answer any questions the students might have. Ulrich didn't sleep much on the night before that call. And then I just came on and just like, hey, Alejandro, how are you? I need to tell you something. Why I'm so interested in North Korea and you? I have been uh, acting like a mole and told him that we have everything on tape, what I've been doing with him since I met up first time. And he just cut off the connection. Looking at his face on the screen, I don't even need a picture of it. I can still visualize his uh, expression in his face and the disappointment in his eyes. And 10, 20 minutes later, I was removed from everything from KFA. I was the enemy. Dead man walking in North Korea and KFA. As you might expect, the North Koreans were anxious to speak with Ulrich. I had more than 10 calls from the North Korean embassy in the hours after. Ulrich didn't answer their calls. But Ulrich and Mads had one more very important person they did need to confess to. Ulrich's wife. She knew that Ulrich had been going on some international trips, including to North Korea, but Ulrich had told her that he was just helping out a film crew there. For an amazing total of 3,785 days, apart from his conspirators and the Brugger film project, Ulrich had kept the extent of his undercover work a complete secret from everyone, including his wife and kids. But when Mads Brugger arrived to film the final video confession to Alejandro Caudebenos, Ulrich's wife, sensing something big was afoot, demanded to know what was going on. With more than a little contrition, Ulrich and Mads finally fessed up. And we were literally like two school children going to the principal's office for doing the worst thing we ever done on the school. She was, of course, surprised and she feared what's going to happen in the future. She was mad at me for not telling, but she understood why I couldn't tell her because that would have gave her a lot of thoughts when I was gone. And if she knew, she might have told somebody without knowing, telling them things that they could use if somebody was watching. Their marriage survived the revelation. And a few months later, Mads Brugger's film, The Mole, telling Ulrich's story, including the secret footage, which Ulrich had risked his life to capture, was released. Since then, 
life for Ulrich and his family has been very different from how it used to be. But you know, going from zero message on Twitter to 4,000 messages in a night, that's that's a bit weird. Not to mention the security precautions. I got the Danish intelligence service in my home and we changed a lot in our home and had another car. When I go out to do my lecture, I need to have a security guard with me, securing the area. People call me the mole on the street. Um, sometimes it's a bit strange to take selfies and give an autograph or people are nice but some people crosses the line especially if I'm with the family and stuff and what does Ulrich hope that his incredible undercover work will achieve in the long run it's a scary place to be and and I know that I will never come back but um, I hope in my lifetime that the country will be a normal country if we can use that term but nobody deserves to live in a regime who doesn't care for human rights and One of my greatest wishes to go to South Korea and go up to the border to the north just to close the circle for me to see in the last time after them all. That would mean a lot to me. As I just made just a little hole in that iron curtain separating those countries, I would be very proud. As part of his ongoing work to expose the true workings of the North Korean regime, Ulrich is available to share his inspiring and incredible tale with private audiences. You can book Ulrich at spyex.com, S-P-Y-E-X.com. I'm Vanessa Kirby. Here's a taste of next week's encounter with True Spies. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.